Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is our scripture study class. Um, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on a podcast, welcome. Podcast, I was I was from Boston. <laughs> so okay, shout out to all our <laughs> Boston family out there. Um, we go through things that we think you don't want to miss. If you're new and you're like, why is it called Don't Miss This? That's what. We're showing all the, our favorite parts, the things that we think you don't want to miss from this little block of, of scripture that we're in today. We are doing the book of James. Um, the title is a winner already. You can't um, wait for that whole part. Yeah, you guys, we put half the time of preparation into whatever <laughs> the title's going to be for this. So we really want you to appreciate them when they come. But Compliment this them. is a phrase from the book of James that we count them happy. Um, we'll talk about what that means in just a second. Uh, here on the tip-in, here's a tip-in for every single... Oh, somebody asked us the other day. Let me just say a couple things, but answer some... Um, FAQs, tip-ins, that's a, that's a um, publishing word of something that you glue into the margins. I always call them glue-ins, but the fancier <laughs> word is tip-ins because they're designed to kind of put glue along the edge of it and slide them into your scripture, and then it turns it into a study Bible. There's like more information that's in there, quotes that you like or, or whatever like that. The Book of Mormon, we have these for next year also, and remember they're twice as good as these if it's even possible, so it's going to become a study Book of Mormon. Um, so all, remember all the, all that, the product, including the tip-ins or glue-ins are at Desiree Book. They're available right now. Uh, this, uh, let me just help with this because this is a question Maria is answering for us a lot. This is the study journal, the one that has the bind, the coil on the binding. This is for all your notes. This includes kind of the Bible study questions, five questions for each section and it includes the worksheets also that are for personal study and also use for class and family. So that's the spiral one is, is your study notebook. You're going to write in this one. You're going to fill it up with all of your things that you love in your personal study. And then the devotional book looks like this. I don't have one for the Book of Mormon. This is the New Testament one. And it's like a real life book with many thoughts for um, every single chapter of the Book of Mormon. So that's what the difference between those two is for everybody who's asking, I think. And then the book, this book, the book book, the devotional book is the same as four years ago, if you have one from then, as a new cover. But the journal is new. Everything else is new. The only thing that's a repeat is the devotional book. So study journal is what we call this guy with the spiral where you keep all your notes and devotional book and tip in that you glue in to your <laughs> the demonstration yeah, to your to margins of your of your scriptures so and then while we're talking about that that's all all the things that you'll want to get for next year to just help out with your study in your home and everything that you're doing with the study of the book of mormon next year which we're so excited about we still have one other surprise that's getting worked on for everybody our free download um for next year and we will show that once we have it and it's ready to go and get printed so you can get that ready uh, um, but the app, we have some really fun, we have an app. This is the best news ever for me. Yeah, I, I can't wait well, for you to say it. It actually was like, we got a lot of requests and it was like, wait, that's actually my number one request. So I called and said, is this doable? And when they said yes, I was like, why did I not ask two years ago about <laughs> so this? True. So the app, our app includes everything. Don't miss this in one spot. The podcast, the video, the newsletter. So you have to go searching for that. Any kind of bonus things that we do, all the stuff from all the years in one place. Super all convenient. PDFs, all the quotes, yeah, all everything. All in there. Then there's also this section in there that I think is my most favorite section of the app, which is called the dailies. And that includes a, for five days a week, a scripture or two with sort of a little mini intro and then three questions that are for the littles, for the middles, and for the teens and adults. And they are perfect for a nighttime or morning scripture study. It is quick. They're meaningful. It can lead to, it's cut sort of like an accordion because it can be really fast. Or if the discussion is lively, you can kind of get into it a little bit more. I then, even built like my lessons off the dailies. Like when I was teaching, sem like I am still teaching seminary, but 
Like at the beginning, I would look at the dailies and like that is how I would build my lessons. It would like it gave me ideas for object lessons. Like they're really good to like begin somewhere. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But we our personal favorite use of them is nighttime scripture study to make it in the scriptures mm -hmm. every day in a meaningful question asking. People are involved. It's not just like read and don't understand. It's like anyways, yeah. those are awesome. And uh, and you kind of they're divide they're kind of categorized like a little library of how to get to them. And starting, I hope by the time you see this video, there will be a section in the dailies called this week. So you don't have to scroll down to September or whatever to find this week's one, but the this week will keep getting updated. So it's a, it's a lot easier of a find to just jump into that. And I'm opening uh, this up and <laughs> like I was going to show you or something and it's not even there yet. I was just gonna like, see, it's right here. So that is going in to be process. in there. We have some other really cool stuff coming. We are going to start putting the transcripts from our lessons in there. Um, and that is upcoming also. We are going to start all these next year. And we decided let's just start them right away and jump in. The app is, um, a, you can't get it in a normal, you can get it from the app store, but you need to go to our website, don'tmissthisstudy.com and go to the app section. And you need to like sign up for it to get your username and password. So you have to do that first. Go get your username and password, sign up for it, and, and then go to the app store and download it. So you'll be you'll be tricked if you don't do it in that in that order. Okay. True. All right. Thanks. I just answering some <laughs> of those things. And I wanted you to know we had that app for those of you who are new and didn't know. And especially that daily section. I just can't say enough good about what good yeah. that's done for us. Is and Jenny uses it for her lessons also. When it's she so teaches. good. It's so good. Yeah. So, and then, okay, that's all the questions I think that we're answering about those. Hopefully that helps out. Go ahead and ask a question if you have them. And if there's a lot of you asking them, I might do the same thing again. But did I even say what I was going to say about this no. glue in, tip in no. thing about James, which is this. A lot of people will debate about who this James is. There's several of them. And, or it could be one that we don't even know. It's not even mentioned. But we went with one of the more prominent beliefs about who this James is, is the brother of Jesus. Which, uh, it's just too cute <laughs> to not say, okay, he's this is the brother of Jesus, you know? And so Bible scholars, fancy Bible people, read the book of James and they say this. There, he is influenced a lot by the, um, by the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to say he's actually influenced a lot by his brother, Jesus. They grew up together and, and he, was, uh, he was there. And heard, sat with the Sermon on the Mount, listened to it, listened to his teachings. And I think he was, you know, you just have the, when you hang out with somebody a lot and you spend a lot of time reading them or listening to them, you start to speak like they do. Your, your, your language is marked by their influence. And, and I think that's, I think you see that with James. Like you see a simplicity to the gospel message in the book of James. Like he narrows it down the same way Jesus does. Where he's like, it is love God, love people, the end. Let me, show, let me show you how to live this kind of life, which is why we called the lesson this, we count them happy because there are a million different ways to live a life in, in pursuit of happiness, in pursuit of wholeness. That's a word that James uses seven times in there. Wholeness or perfect is translated sometimes as perfect. This idea of, I'm settled. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm really satisfied and, and my life is abundant and it's thrilling. It's um, the idea of eternal life is a present tense experience as much as it's a future tense. Like I can live under the rule of the kingdom of heaven now. I can experience companionship with the, with the Godhead and with a community of saints. I can experience the spiritual gifts. I can so I, any people are choosing the way they want to live because they're in pursuit of wholeness, right? They're in pursuit of that happy life. And James talks about a certain kind of people. It's like, we actually count them happy. Mm. They have, they, um, these people have looked to Jesus of Nazareth for their way of living the good life. Jesus called it eternal life. And what it really means is this is the good life. And uh, he taught a pattern of living the good life. And we're going to look at that um, in the book of James. You'll notice the book of James. So the worksheet this week we're going to introduce first because um, we the book of James is full of like proverb type 
wisdom lines, like one-liners. We call them sticky statements, ones that are just like you want to put on a sticky note and put on your mirror for the week. It's just like, ooh, like little one-liners that are just like take a whole lesson and wrap it up in a cute little way of saying it. And it's just, so we made this um, study sheet to look like a bunch of sticky notes so that as you study the book, you can just, oh, let's find these cool little one-liners. In a class, you could take this paper, you could hand it out, and you could divide up different chunks of the book of James and have people find find your best one-liner from that. And then as they kind of share it with the rest of the class, everybody else could fill theirs in. Or they Way could cool. use it for their own personal study too. But just yeah. we're looking for, this is how you could use this to look for those, to help, these one-liners that teach me how to live the good life. And it's so cute because I read, I don't even remember what article it was, so just you just have to be okay with that. But I read an article earlier this week, and it was just this guy, and it was just a list of all his advice. But he was like, oh, if I could just go uh, back yeah. and just like write down all my advice, this is what it would be. And I sent it to like five people because I thought it was the cutest little article in Whoa. the whole entire world. Yeah, Whoa. it was good. Thanks. Sorry, not you. Didn't make the five. <laughs> six. You were close six. You were close <laughs> six. And what happened is all of a sudden when I was reading the book of James, it is just so endearing to me because I'm like, oh, I actually do want to look at a list of advice from someone that grew up with Jesus. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want Jesus' advice for sure, no doubt. But there's something so tender and real about, oh, actually, like, this is my list of advice. And I, like, grew up with Jesus. I, like, saw it, you know? And it's somebody who could say, he didn't just teach this. Yeah. I watched him live it on Wednesday afternoons. And, yep. and I watched it change the people around him. He really was a happy person. He really was as settled and as patient and as good and kind and compassionate as his biographers make him out to be. And here's a man at the end of his life who's passing that on. He's like, I learned this from my brother. I tried it out. You can tell by the things he teaches, right? He's yeah. Like, I tried it yeah. out. It, it changed me. I, I, I found wholeness. I found healing. I found my fractured life begin to be put back together. I found that, like, that I lived life differently. And, I'm, and now can I please pass it on to the, to the church, to whoever wants to read it? And to me, it's so cute that it's just like random little spark notes of like yeah. where he's like, yeah, like actually like, I don't want to, I don't want you to forget this part. Like this is actually something good. And it's so cute that it's just like little things all throughout the whole book. I don't know. It just makes it seem so much more. It's just so inviting to me Yeah. that it's just like, oh, like here, here's a couple things and, I was thinking about. And we appreciate Paul's discourses and yeah. him like unfolding and laying things out. Yes. But James has a very Jesus style of consider the lilies, you know, one-liners that just like, and that's good for us, I think. Yeah. To remember how simple it is to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you really are just like, oh wait, I actually want to see that every single day this week. Yeah. Like I actually want to like put that on a sticky note for real and put it on my dashboard. And like, live it. Yeah. Really simple reminder of. There's just something inviting about yeah. advice like that. A way to live. So that's what you can do with this book and this, this worksheet as you read through it. Okay. One other, uh, well, Go to the next thing, and then you might um, teach your way of using the book, too. Oh. Yeah. Okay, you'll yeah. get into it. I was like, but, wait, yeah. what is that? I was, but it needs your interest. I was so excited for that surprise. <laughs> I was like, yeah, great. It's your surprise. <laughs> Can't even wait for that. Um, so the book of James starts, and oh, my goodness. First of all, you're just going to love it, because even from the very beginning, how he starts, it really is, and maybe that's why I love it so much. I don't know what it is about this book that seriously seems so inviting to my heart, but from the second that I started reading it, like, it just really, there's something about it that calls to people. Like, it really is just something that you're like, oh yeah, I actually want to, I want to study these chapters for a second. And the way he starts, you see it right in verse two, is really this invitation to everyone that he says, listen, I'm going to, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, all your different afflictions and trials and everything that you're possibly going through. I love, first of all, that he's like, you actually can count that as joy. That's something we can count. And like, you can look for that in this book. And I think it just applies so well to that idea of like wholeness. But he's like, wait, you need to remember that this is a big picture book. And so when all of a sudden you're going through something that's tricky and a trial and a tribulation, actually you're trying 
to think about wholeness this whole entire time. So you actually can look at that as joy. But, but And also that verse one where he says, this is to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad, which makes you feel included when you read it. Yeah, which number is cute. One. Yeah, that you're just like, oh, 2,000 years later, I'm still included in this. But second, the idea of to call someone scattered begs the solution of gathering. And, and that's a theme throughout all of scripture. So if, if I say to you, oh, scattered ones, I'm also saying, oh, you about to be gathered ones. That there is like, at, at this current time, you are scattered. And it just leads your mind to think of the promise given to scattered people. That there's a gathering, there is a healing, there is a restitution, there is a, a, um, a what, what do we call it? A restoration, yeah. you know, um, in the future for you. Like you people of promise. Like I just, you're scattered currently you're in a you're in a place of diverse temptations yeah that's what it's like to live mortality but when you live it with god you 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 actually live in the shadow of of a promise yeah well and i love that he just wants to say like oh actually like your life's he wants to make sure that we understand that he's like i get that all of your lives look super different you are all scattered in your own way you are all experiencing earth in a very unique way and usually that seems disqualifying they're like oh my problem's different like you don't get it because i'm living this whole different mess right now and i love that he's actually like wait a minute this is something that could gather you together that yeah you actually all are in a completely different aspect of your life a completely different area and scenario but don't worry this is actually for you in a mess in a scattered state like, oh yeah, actually, you still get to be included in that. Yeah. No matter what it is, whatever your affliction is, whatever your trial is, like actually this one still is applicable for you. And I don't know if you were going to go here, maybe, but I like that he says that he doesn't list out any of them, but he uses the word diverse, the many kinds yeah. of afflictions that are there. And he says, whatever they are, verse three, you should know this about it. I, you actually don't, you don't need to tell me what it is because whatever it is, know this. This is what's common among them, that that can work in you to wholeness, to something good. Let, let patience have her perfect work in you. Whatever it is, it becomes an opportunity to let patience, let God have his perfect work in you. That you may be, verse 4, perfect or whole and entire, wanting nothing. That's the... It, w- the situation you're in could be counted as joy because of what it can what it can do in your relationship with God. And the fact that in all reality, the goal is wholeness. Right. Big picture, that is the goal, is that we want to see wholeness and perfection in that completed way. And isn't that interesting? It's just like, that's the goal. And your journey there is scattered brokenness. Yeah. Like that is the path to the path to wholeness is brokenness. Brokenness. Yeah. Like that's where you are right now, no matter what. And it's cool because right in the very next verse, he's going to address that head on. And he's like, yeah, you are scattered and you are broken. And that is the journey that you're on right now with the end goal of wholeness and completion. But then he's going to get a little bit more specific in the most, like, I think tender way ever in verse five. And he's going to say, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which already you love because he wants to say, hey, actually, you're la- you might lack something. In this goal of like wholeness and completion and perfection, you actually probably are lacking something. That's going to be, there's going to be something missing. And then he's going to say, listen, you need to ask for help. Mm. You need to ask for more because that completion doesn't come all by yourself. That actually comes from someone bigger. And it's so cool because he's going to back God up right here. He's not just going to put a period at the end of that. Like, oh, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, period. He's actually going to give you a reason to ask him. And he's going to say, you need to remember this about God, that he actually giveth to all men liberally liberally, and upbraideth not. And there's something so powerful to me about that idea that he's like, I know that you're living broken right now and scattered and you are lacking something you're lacking wisdom i get it 
let me tell you who to ask and why. You need to ask God because he gives liberally. He's yeah. not going to hold back with right. whatever you need. And it's something so powerful to me to remember who you're asking. Mm-hmm. That, oh, wait, actually, if I'm lacking knowledge, if I'm, at, if I'm lacking wisdom, I do want to ask God because he knows everything. Yeah. He's the most wise. Yeah. Why wouldn't I ask him? And then it like almost invites you into this idea of, okay, so we are living scattered and broken. We're lacking things. And maybe, maybe it's wisdom today and we want to live a bigger and wiser life. And that's why we're like, yeah, that is calling my name. Yeah, but tell I wonder, me what to do. Like, I don't know what to do for this situation. I don't know what to do with these friends. And I don't know how to be considered happy. Right. Like, I don't know how to live in that situation. Yeah. Like, I don't know. How, teach me how to live happy in a world that looks like this. That's, that's the definition of wisdom. Help yeah. me find wholeness and healing and happiness in a world that looks like this one. That's why I want. Wisdom sounds like such an, a word I, I maybe you think you want, but like, why? And it's, it's that. Yeah. And it's like part one of this for me is I'm like, oh, I'm obsessed that he started with this, especially when you realize that the next like few chapters of this really are like almost like little snippets of advice that it makes me want to stop and be like, okay, what areas am I lacking wisdom? Or like for me version, it'd be like, okay, what do I not know right now? Well, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in the next like year of my life. Like that is just true. I don't know what I should do tomorrow, first of all. So that's also in there. Like, what do I not know? And maybe it's like, oh, I don't know if I should go on a mission or not. I don't know which college to go to. I don't know what I should do about this person in my life that I'm like struggling to figure out this relationship with. I don't know what I should do with my calling. I'm feeling stuck and like, I don't know where to go next. And it just seems so inviting to me right now, just like as a little part one of this is to just be like, okay, what if he's inviting you to read this, the whole rest of this book with that question in your mind? To start out and say, okay, God, I don't know about this. I don't know about this specific act, like aspect of my life. I need a little bit of help, a little bit of help right now, mm-hmm. a little bit of wisdom. What if I pray at the beginning of James and then I read and see if I find a little bit of wisdom from him, yeah. which is cool. Super cool. But it also makes me start thinking, okay, if I want to ask God for wisdom because I know he is the most wise, what else am I lacking that God has already completed? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? I actually lack in love way too often. But I know God has that figured out. Yeah. And then it makes me want to say, okay, all you who lack blank, let him ask of God. Because first of all, he gives liberally, but also he is the most loving. So when I need love, that's what I'm like. Why would I not ask the one that has love? And he is the most patient. So when I lack patience, why do I not go to him first? My, like, right when I got home from my mission, I lived with one of my friends and she um, got home from her mission and she moved to Utah. She's from Texas and Texas is warm and Utah is not warm. And so she went shopping for all her clothes after her mission because that's what you do because you don't have anything anymore. And she got all these clothes and she got like t-shirts and stuff and she just got two pairs of pants because that was going to be fine for her yeah. life. And then she got to Utah and Utah is not Texas weather. And she like started realizing that she was going to be a whole lot colder all winter than she was in Texas. Texas yeah. And I was living with her at this point. And finally, it was like three months into winter. And I was like, Allie, how many pants do you have? And she was like, oh, I just have two. And I was like, for the whole winter? And she's like, yeah, I just switch off days wearing them. She's like, <laughs> it just works out perfect. And by the end of the winter, seriously, her pants, she had worn the same two pairs of pants every single day for the whole winter. And she went home. And her parents saw her pants and they were like, and like kind of like as a joke, they were like, are those the only pants you own? And she was like, well, I just have one other pair. And they were like, for real? And she was like, oh yeah. She's like, I was just going to like, I was just wearing these and it was just not that big of a deal. And her dad was like, listen, I would have bought you five more pairs of pants. Like, why didn't you ask me? Like Mm. I had plenty, like I would have gotten you everything you needed for winter. Mm. Like, why didn't you just ask? And it makes me think like, oh, wait a minute. I wonder if God is thinking the same thing. That I see you in this scattered and broken state. I see you lacking things. I'm the one that has that figured out. That's complete for me. Yeah. I can actually give you what you're lacking. Yeah. And those two things that almost solve two of the most, James solves two of the, the biggest like disputes or problems that someone ha- would have. One is 
that he's liberal in his giving. Yeah. He's not going to be skimpy in his giving. He's like, I have what you need and I have more of it than what you need. So don't let that be a concern. You don't have to be afraid to ask. Yeah. I have it. He has plenty. And the second is, and upbraideth not. And that word upbraideth means to like, um, to have a condescending approach. Like God is not going to be condescending to you because of your ask. That he's not going to get mad at you because of what your ask was. That he's not going to, you know, at you because, because of what it is. You can approach him with whatever it is that you lack and his his response is not going to is not going to be condescending in any way. He's gonna like later on in the chapter. He's called a, a phrase I love so much. Where is that one where he says the father of 16, oh, 17. seventeen? He says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no vari- variableness, neither shadow of of turning. That that he he is the giver of good gifts liberally and 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 anxious for us to ask and i think sometimes we think about asking and we're a little bit afraid maybe it's like the human nature in us that like even in that situation like i don't know why ali didn't ask her dad for an extra pair of pants but i wonder if there is part of us that's afraid to say oh like i don't want to put you in that place that you have to do this for me yeah but it makes you really vulnerable to ask yeah um God's going to give every good gift and he's going to give it in his infinite wisdom. And sometimes that's hard to be really, to say what it is that you really want and be afraid that you, that it might not be the best thing for you and, or the timing is, is off. And to, you know, to actually speak something that you want is, it puts you in a vulnerable spot to say, I need this. I'm missing this. I'm not good at this. I wish this. Like that is, that's actually, we don't do that with each other because we want to act like I can do this. I have it all put together and we play that same game with God too. And it just makes me think like, maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing when we think like that and we're thinking about us, which is normal and natural. And I do that every single day when in reality, like James wants us to switch the mindset. And he's like, wait, actually, when you're like on the edge of asking someone for something, think about who you're asking. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, you're actually asking someone who gives liberally, who gives overflowing amounts. You're asking someone that isn't going to hold it against you. You're asking someone that isn't going to manipulate the situation. You're actually asking someone that wants to give. Right. So what do you, what are you lacking? Because there's someone that you could ask. Yeah. And verse six is great. And ask in faith. That word that can mean trust. Ask in trust. Trusting who it is that you're asking also. Nothing wavering like the waves of the sea, but just believing, um, trusting, putting your future, your, your, your hopes, your wishes, your desires all into, into the best hands that there are. James is actually giving you permission to ask God. Yeah. And I think there's something freeing in that to me that I'm like, oh, like almost next time when I pray, like it just like feels a little bit better if I can be like, oh, I read it. I read it actually in James. Like, <laughs> so I could ask Jesus and I love. brother said. Yeah, I'm like, just so you know. And I love that. I'm like, oh, wait, actually, like he gave you permission. You don't need to be afraid because first of all, remember who you're asking. But second, James gave you permission to ask. Right. Uh, the end of, so that first one in that happy life, live life with God. That's kind yeah. of his wisdom statement. Um, the second one, he's going to introduce a phrase that is uh, in chapter two called the royal law. Mm-hmm. But the start of it is in the end of James chapter one, where he just talks about as we do life with other people, he says this pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And I think that's such an interesting, before you were to read it, to ask yourself, what, what, what is religion? Is it knowing the doctrine? Is it knowing what to, what, what is it? How would he define what pure religion, living your religion, act, what worship looks like? Which would be also so cool in a class. Right. To start your class out like that and be like, okay, how would you guys define religion? Yeah. Or if I said, this person is a religious person, describe them. Yeah. If that's all I told you, what could you tell me about a person if I said they are a, they are a 
religious person. That could be so cool. You know, such what, a cool discussion. Right. Or what's your religion in one yeah. statement? Yeah. You know, what's it mean to live your religion? That's a phrase that some you may know. Live your religion. How would you feel? How do you live your religion? Yeah. Um, That'd be a cool start. And then to hear what James says, which is, it's this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. He goes on in chapter two and, and talks about what it means to live that, what he's going to, in a second, call the royal law, to live your religion. And he talks about situations where sometimes we're really good and kind to people because of what they can offer us in return. Like we all have some of that in us where I'm just more inclined to do a favor, to go out of my way for somebody who is like me or someone I know can probably return the favor. Or if doing something nice for you increases my, like my social status somehow, or now I, you owe me a favor now. You, there are, not to say that would be your only motivation, but there is a, there is some motivation that comes from that. And he says, but what about someone who can't? What about someone who's, in verse 5, poor in this world? What about someone who's oppressed in, in verse 6? What about someone who doesn't have a name or, doesn't, or can't give you any social points by being seen with them or, or you know, to have them in, in, you know, owe you a favor or, or anything? Um, but he says... The royal law looks like to give the good ring, verse 2, and the goodly apparel to the one who didn't have it at all, to elevate someone. And I actually love that it's called the royal law. It makes me think of um, a friend of mine who told me a story when she was having some work done on her house. And there were some people outside who were working on their house, and her granddaughter was there. And she said, let's go get them some lunch. And so they went to go get Chick-fil-A or something like that. And the daughter, the granddaughter started to like get the stuff to take out. And then the grandmother started to pull out their nicest plates and their nicest cups and, and put the food like out of the packaging, like the Chick-fil-A onto their fine china and took it out to feed them lunch. And like her granddaughter watched her do this and, and, um, in in actuality, she lived the royal law. She treated these people like they were royalty. That if the king or queen of England came to your home, what would you serve them the Chick Fil A on? And just to to see her, I live love that, that you're still gonna. Just, just so you know, I love that you're still gonna serve the king and queen Chick Fil A. Well, they would want it. You people are always giving them the fanciest stuff, and they're like, oh, all I want is just those waffle fries. As if you're just talking for, to so many kings and queens. Say, you don't know my circle. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, there it is in verse eight. If you fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, thou shalt love the, thy neighbor as thyself. Um, you do well. That's what it looks like to live um, that, that royal law. And I, I will never get over, um, and I think it would be Jesus's first rule for a happy life. And the first way to show us how to find wholeness is to live in, inside something called a, a royal law. And you're going to see that keep returning all throughout the entire chapter where it's just going to keep coming back to this idea of wait the the most fulfilling um the most golden way to live is to live in a way where you take care of other people the man uh william booth is his name he started the salvation army which is a a church and you may know them by the the bell ringers at christmas time uh, but it is a church, and uh, he was highly, highly persecuted throughout his entire life uh, for his beliefs and for the religion that he was starting. And uh, he said, um, on on one occasion, somebody he was visiting the King of England, Edward the Seventh, my people, and they were having Chick Fil A. Uh, yeah, they're on fine dining, and they. He had a guest book to sign, and William Booth signed this in his guest book, this line on the screen. I'll read it to you. Your Majesty, some men's ambition is art, some men's ambition fame, some men's ambition is gold. My ambition is the souls of men. And you'll he see in the book of James that um, art and fame and gold are great, but they, they fade away and they can't hold their luster. But the way that you treat other people in living the royal law 
will always pay um, more dividends than any other way we could spend our time, our money, or our energy, or ambitions. And I just, from someone who grew up in the house of Jesus, to have this as a common theme in his book makes sense to me. And it, I want it to become the North Star of the way that I, I live my life. And, uh, and James says, this is, this is wholeness. This leads to a happy whole kind of living. Well, and it's so interesting because when you, like, that quote is so intriguing to me because when you think of an artist or, like, someone who wants to be famous or someone who wants to be rich or wealthy, like, think about how much time they dedicate to those things. And it really just does make me, like, stop and be like, oh, actually, if my ambition really was the souls of men, what would my day look like? Because an artist's day looks like painting. And someone mm -hmm. who wants gold, their day looks like working. Yeah. And in my head, it just like makes me want to stop and be like, I think that James's day probably looks different than mine. And I wonder right now in my life, what would it look like if I woke up every single day and I was like, okay, actually, like my ambition is the souls of men. Mm -hmm. And what would I change in my day? Yeah. You know, how would I start looking at people differently? Yeah. And this is neat because it's going to lead into this next discussion that we're going to talk about, which is the idea of faith and works, which you may know that is in the book of James. But James actually teaches it in context of um, this, where he's like, I may say that I love people, but what are you actually doing about it? it makes me think of one of our favorite authors. His name is Bob Goff. Recommend all his books. But one of them you can start with is called Love Does. And that's what the book is about. It's about somebody that like love isn't a feeling, love does. That is what defines whether love is undefiled. Pure love is to do something about it. That you, that you think through, that you don't just feel it and think it, which is great, but you do it. Well, and think about how often we talk about that. Like, even just like me personally, like I'm just like having this deep moment of self-reflection that like all of a sudden I'm like, I like preach that left and right. Like, oh, like life is about loving God and loving people. And it just really does make me want to stop and be like, does my life look like that? Yeah. Like, because what does it actually look like right now for me to be loving God and loving people? Mm -hmm. And can it, is it your passion? You know, like, yeah. is it your, not just your hobby, but your passion and something that you want as much as gold or as much as fame, but to love people really well and not just any people, but the ones that don't owe you any social favors. When, the fatherless when, and the widows. Yeah. And like, I love that he just... Who can't return the favor. Yeah. And, and it's fine. We, everybody needs love, you know? And so even if I can return the favor for you, um, everybody needs it. But it just, it just is a way of like checking, you know, are, are, are you... You're, you're just... He's having you check your heart is all when you live this, you know, this... He's like, it's just lived best when you can do it for somebody who could uh, never repay you. Yeah. Oh, so good. I love this one. And I know it's just all over scripture and it makes me love scripture for that very reason. This is it. This is the heart and soul of, uh, I was just actually reading in the devotional book about, about a conversation that I had with my friend Nish about, we were having a theological discussion and it was about the Godhead and what we believed about, are they one or whatever. And at the end of that conversation, we concluded that we believe way more alike than we believe differently, which was nice. Um, but at the very end, uh, she said something. She was like, if, if, if we as Christians spend our whole life debating about the nature of God and passed by the hungry and the helpless and the wanting people on our left and right, then we would have missed the entire point. You know, he's just like, I think, she said, I think God sometimes rolls his eyes right out of his head. <laughs> and then she was like, if he has one, <laughs> you know, that he rolls his eyes right out of his head, watching us debate religion instead of actually living religion. And I, anyways, I yeah. mean, it's cool. It's a good heart check in this book to just remember that love does. And I love little reminders about how you should live, you know, like, it's yes. just like, I just love that idea. Right. Help, it's just you know, like, that, oh wait, like actually like. If you, if you lack wisdom, if you lack, like teach me how to live the good life. G one of Jesus's, maybe his first answer is live the royal law. That's the good life. You just won't, uh, you won't have 
I just have to tell this other story because I just, I think, was listening to another one of my uh, favorite authors, and she was writing about a time when Easter Sunday, she had a friend who did a church underneath an overpass in Austin, Texas, and provided church for the homeless in Austin. And so invited them to come to, you know, uh, be a part of of that. But they were at their um, regular church, and he was from another city that he, um, like that's how they met him, but they were at their regular church and knew that he did work for the homeless or the um, less fortunate in like San Antonio or something like a neighboring city. Sorry, everybody. I was kind of telling all sorts of parts at the same time with that story. And you're like, where are we? What city are we in and what church are we at? But they're at their church and this guest preacher comes who does a lot of work with the homeless and the, un, you know, the un, you know, those who don't have as much. And as he's talking, uh, giving a sermon on Easter, and then he says this. Uh, he was like, I have, in my work with the people that I work with, the one thing that they are missing is really good shoes. Uh, because they stand all day for work and they get cheap shoes and they get hand-me-down shoes and the soles are usually worn down the the shoes that they get and he's like and so the very the thing that they need most right now are are good shoes and then he said so when you come up to take the sacrament as they're coming to take the sacrament he's like if you so choose at this offering table of the lord if you leave your offering um maybe you'll leave the shoes that you came to church with here and she said, my very first thought was like, I wish I hadn't worn my very favorite boots to church oh. today because it's Easter. So everyone's trying to. Everyone's looking their best. <laughs> looking their very, very best. And then she just said, you know, then my next thought was like, shame on you for having that thought, which is just natural. But she said that everybody, as they went up, they left their shoes and this big pile of shoes was there in front of the sacrament table. And she said, as they walked out of the church, she said, the spirit whispered to her. This is what I want my church to look like, a barefoot church, because they all walked out of that church without their shoes on. And, and I think about that story a lot of this is of his voice still saying to me, David, this is what I want my church to look like is barefoot, so a church that's taking care of each other. Um, so anyways, that, that royal law is so... And it really sure is. Do that, something yeah, every day it just about all of a sudden you're like, wait, actually, I do think I want to live different. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I want to take my shoes off. Yeah. You know? It's hard to believe that sometimes. Like in moments like this, when you really feel it, it sinks down into your heart and you believe it. But there's other times, right? Wait, gold and ambition and art, they actually draw me. Yeah. They have, they have, and I'm not saying they're bad, obviously. I don't know why we have to excuse ourselves in saying that. But like, it's <laughs> like, but if you let it settle in your soul, you'll feel something in there that says, that really is the way to live the good life. Yeah. And he leads into this. David kind of already explained this a little bit. But um, he uses that. And then he all of a sudden at the end of chapter two kind of switches directions, kind of has to do with that. And then kind of builds on a bigger conversation. And he kind of starts unpacking that like almost I feel like even just like in human nature, but even in conversation, that conversation that we have of, okay, faith or works faith or works. It's like almost an either or. And what happens in the book of James is that all of a sudden he is going to change that either or, and he's going to switch it to a both or an both and an and. Yeah. (laughs) That was confusing of words. Um, That all of a sudden he's like, wait, wait, wait. We tend to have this idea in our heads that it's either, okay, well, which one's more important, your faith or your works? And he starts, you can see it in verse 14. He says, what doeth it profit, my brethren, Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? That's his lead in that. He's like, okay, is that going to be enough, right? Is the faith going to be enough? And the whole conversation is super interesting, but I think you have to lead into it kind of, I think it's important to like realize this it actually is something in your heart that is a fight almost. And we might not recognize it. And even when I just said that, I was like, yeah, of course you need faith and works. Like that's almost ingrained in our heads. But there is a moment that you really can be like engaged in the conversation in a way that's like, oh, well, which one is more important? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. No, no, I was saying, yeah, I was agreeing. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, And it's interesting because we drew this like little tiny picture up here. And if you're listening, I'll explain it to you. (laughs) This is a desert. Even if you're watching, let me explain it for you because you might not know. (laughs) 
My ambition is not art. Man, that is lucky <laughs> oh, this is a desert, everyone. There's a desert hill. It's sand, okay? There's your cactus verse, your symbol of the desert. Um, and at the very top of the hill, there's a little cup of water. And um, right at the very top of the picture, it just says, okay, which one's going to save you? Believing or climbing? Is believing this water is going to save you? Is that going to be the way that you're saved in the desert if you're dying of thirst? Or is climbing the hill to the water going to be what saves you? And we were talking, and we were like, this would be the funniest conversation with your family or in a class if you were like, okay, debate this for me. Like, what do you like? Yeah, which, which one one's actually? More important. Yeah, which yeah. one's more important? Like climbing the hill or believing that the water's going to save you? Because you can already see what's going to happen in your mind. And it's what James is going to lay out, but there's something powerful about experiencing it before you just read it. That all of a sudden your brain is going to start saying this. Oh, climbing the hill. Otherwise you're not going to make it. And then someone's going to say this back. Okay, but if you don't believe the water's going to save you, are you ever going to climb the hill? Yeah, or if you don't know it's there, like why would you ever climb? Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden you're going to have this like conflict where it's like, okay, well, which one is more important? Is it believing that the water is going to save you? Is it climbing the actual hill? And there's just something fun about the fact that people really will get passionate about this, mostly just because people love to get passionate. (laughs) And so it's just like all of a sudden everyone's just going to want to like have their ground and state that. But I think it plays into this bigger idea that actually this is something that we fight in our hearts. Like, okay, well, which one is more important? Like, I'm working really hard. Well, do you believe? Or like, I believe, like, I don't, like, I don't need to worry about that because like my faith is there. And he unpacks it so deeply through all of this that it's just like, okay, wait, like, actually, if you don't have faith, like, it's gonna, like, it's not gonna, like, your works aren't gonna be enough. Like, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. But then also, it's like, but like, you can't have works without faith. Like, this is a whole, it starts in verse 14, and he's going to go all the way through. But something that is so powerful to me is he uses two examples. And the first example that he's going to use, you start seeing it in verse 21, is he's going to bring up Abraham. And he's going to say, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Which is one of, first of all, I would say like one of the most beautiful stories in scripture that people look to with such like, wow, like almost with awe. And it's like, this is crazy. And it is this automatic, you see the balance of, okay, like yeah, that actually was faith and works. Like Abraham had to believe in a God that saved. He had to have. Yeah, he trusted him for sure. Faith took him to that mountain. Right. But he climbed the whole he climbed the whole mountain and he put his son on the altar. Yeah. Like that was a both story. Right. And he's like, you need to realize that like actually Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. That's verse 23. And he's like, wait a minute, actually, he was a friend to God, not because he just said he was a friend to God. He wasn't just a friend to God because he was doing all the things that a friend would do. But he was actually a friend to God because of both those two things. That's how friendship works. You can't just say everything to a friend and not show up for them. That's not friendship. But also you can't show up for someone and not believe in them. Yeah. That's not friendship. That's not how that's going to work. Right. And there's something powerful in the fact that he's like, listen, look at Abraham. He's going to show you how this works. And there's something about a relationship in it that I think just ties it all together. But then even like there's just, then verse 25 almost flips it all around in a new way because then the second example he brings up is actually Rahab, a prostitute, who all of a sudden he's going to say, Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Rahab who saved the spies, like she, oh, like actually she really did step up in works, but why did she do it? Because she had to have believed in something bigger. And yeah, I think that there's such a good conversation to have in this idea that, yeah, you'd actually need faith and you actually need works. But I think that there might be the underlying of a, like a different conversation that wants to be, hey, actually, your relationship with God gets to look different. Mm-hmm. And it might look like a story that is like held in awe by an entire world like that is just like oh my goodness like yeah look at that he gets it your story also might be the story of a harlot Mm -hmm. that is just like oh like she was so unexpected she was so looked over she was so in the middle of a mess 
her faith and works was actually still enough. Abraham's faith and works were still enough. And it doesn't matter what your story looks like. It doesn't matter how messy it is. It doesn't matter who you are when you begin this journey. Faith and works is actually the most important part. It's not how much you do. Mm. You know, it's just like, oh, wait, actually, these, this can look so different for every single person. Yeah, and I like that it, you know, one, one of the things that gets people caught up when they have this discussion is they think this is about salvation itself, right? How do I, what do I need to do for salvation? And, and that word, you just have to say, what do you mean by that word? What are you, what are you talking about with, yeah. that, with that word? You know, because the work of salvation, we see in other books, and then it was done by Jesus on the cross. Right? Like it's just like he, that was, that was done. But this idea of saving is like, okay, so what's it look like to like grow in relationship with him? You know, to, to be mentored by him, to be changed by him, to be healed by him. Like what's that process look like? Uh, when you look at this thing, you're like, which one's, what's more, most important, the believing or the climbing? We forgot option three, which is the water itself. Like who put the water there? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I think, I think it's really, really important in having this discussion. We're not talking about like, how do I, Jesus saved us, okay? But like, what's it look like to like invite his, his power, his grace, and his goodness into our lives? What's it look like to increase in relationship, to become a friend to him? What's that look like? Which, which one's more, you know, you know, important? Is it, and it's, it's like both of them, it's so fun to look. You're just like, well, oh, all of it together. Yeah, you know, and that everyone's believing gets to look different, and everyone's works Timing get to different. look different, right? Depending on what station of life that you are in, like Abraham and Rahab, to use both those examples, says like anybody can um, receive the presence, healing, progression uh, of God, and the relationship with Him in their lives. He will call you yeah. both a friend. Yeah, wherever you are at, that can you know uh, your. They both were lacking something different. They both were progressing in their mm. in their become in their journey to become and in their relationship with God in 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 different ways, and also a lot in the same, which is awesome. Yeah. Okay. This next little guy we want to just share a little bit of wisdom from the book of James is in chapter three, where he just talks about um, he's actually talking about the way we use our mouths, you know, and it's like our words matter a lot. And I like that very, very specific example because in the world we live in today, we need James 3, 1 through 5, really, really badly. Yeah. And he just talks about you can become a master of your words. You can, you, can, you can bridle them. You can become perfect, he says, in that one area of your life, in the way that you use your, your words. And, and he uses these two examples talking about words, but I just want to expand a little bit because in verse 3 he says, we put bits in horses' mouths and they obey us. Like they, they move, a little bit moves the entire horse. And he says, and for ships, although they're so big and driven by fierce winds, they're turned with a really small helm, the little rudder thing. The, uh, that small little thing can turn the entire ship. And then he says, even so the tongue is a little part of your body, <laughs> you know, in verse five, <laughs> but behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Someone may say the same about a little match. Um, it's just what what you know. What harm could that do? And he says, but how great a fire it actually can! Like it can have a great impact, and that is true. And we should be warned of that. To 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 the, the little things that we do, they matter. But it also is as encourage as encouraging as it is a warning that the little things that we do can matter. That. If, if the words we say can have a really devastating impact, then the words we say can also have a building and an encouraging and an overwhelming impact for somebody as well. And I love reading that and just remembering that sometimes we think, I don't have anything big to do. And James teaches us how great a matter a little fire kindleth. One phone call can make a big difference. One uh, small act of kindness, one idea that you actually do something about can make a great difference um, in someone else's life and in your own life and experience and journey with God. Sometimes we neglect the things that are little because they're little 
And, and James is teaching us not to do that. We think, oh, how different is one text going to make? And he's just like, oh, you need to understand how important that little thing is. Like if there's something big to do, we would do it because it's big. But what if the little things were a big deal? What if we could see them as, as something that actually was going to matter and make a difference? Well, and it's so interesting because it just makes me want to think like, how many conversations am I having in a day? And to be honest, it's like probably more than I would expect. Right. And then that's such an interesting thought that I'm like, okay, if my goal is to love God and love people, are my conversations reflecting that? Yeah. Because if I'm spending the majority of my day in conversations, that's actually determining my life. Right. Those conversations are. Right. And it's what are your greatest impacts, you know? Yeah. Your, Your words that you speak. You know, there's that phrase that we all grew up with, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Bull crap. <laughs> you know, uh, that, is, that is the most untrue statement that anyone's ever said. And none of us, I think, should live our lives believing something like that. Um, we all know that's untrue. We can, we can, say, we can say that, but like each of us have, have experiences where that has proved 100% false. Right, sticks and stones break people's bones, and words break people's hearts. It's worse. The heart's actually more important. So, like somebody should really say it like that, so that we can remember that the words that we say they they matter. It know? doesn't rhyme, but it's very good. It yeah. Doesn't rhyme, but still great. The first great. one ever rhymed. Did it rhyme? Sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never. That didn't rhyme either. Look at you. Watch your words, okay? Because <laughs> you try to like. You need to read James. No, it sounds like you should rhyme. <laughs> yeah. I want to make that. one that rhymes. But I'm actually really, really, I like the warning of this one, but I also love the encouragement of this one. That it's just like, hey, two kinds of encouragements. One, you can master this. You can leave yeah. every conversation having said the good words. Um, but you should also know like, you, that you're, the little things that you do, including your words, they can make a difference. You know, and... and in people's lives. Uh, I just, man, I just heard something today and the end line was that kind of change is generational. That's Ooh. how, that's how it ended. And I wish I could remember what yeah, that it is, is that I was good. watching. It was like, they said that, like, but that, and that kind of change is generational. Ooh. And I was like, oh, whoa. You know, to know that you have that kind of impact at your fingertips hmm. or your oh, lips, that's really cool. you know, is, is, is just empowering to think about in the way I live my life. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And then, oh, the last little lesson, you guys. Oh, this is a, um, I found this essay this week by this um, Japanese writer. And the name of the essay was A Three Mile an Hour God. And um, I was like, oh, that's such an interesting title. I'm so intrigued by that title. And it happens to be that that is the speed that, mo- that people walk at. And it was an emphasis on the fact that all throughout Scripture we use the phrase that we walk with God, that He has a walking pace. And in chapter 5, the very last chapter of of the book of James, um, starting in um, uh, verse 7, right? Yeah. Where this is one of His last bits of advice, and it's a two-part one. And in the journal... The question is, what advice does James give for the rougher, trying patches of our life? And there's kind of two parts of it. And one of them starts in verse 7, and it says, Be patient, therefore, unto the coming of the Lord. Uh, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And And he reminds us that how long it takes for fruit to grow on trees, and how long a farmer has to wait. And, 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 and he says, and he hath long patience for it until he finally receives the early and the latter rains that will come. And that coming of the Lord into our lives and the change that we're looking for and the help and the healing, he says, remember that he's a three mile an hour God, that he will come quickly and the work will begin. But the works that it seems like that the, we might have to have the patience of a farmer in something like this and because god god seems to be at, to walk if i were to say why why would 
why is God's pace three miles an hour? It would say, I would say because that's, that's the pace of love. That's the speed of love. The relationships take time. And healing takes um, time. And, and creating memories and changing, a, a changing of a heart, it takes time. For, for that to happen. And I, and, and, and I love that James is just teaching us. So in verse eight, be he also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It's near, mm. but we exercise patience in the, in these middle patches that we go through. And a farmer doesn't actually expect a seed to be fruit in two days, you know, like so it's, it's not, not even, He's not frustrated. Yeah, right. Like, it's not like, oh my goodness, why is that taking so long? He's like, yeah, well, I expected this to take four months. When I planted it, I knew that's what was going to happen. Yeah. And it just makes me think that, like, there's actually not frustration in growth. Mm. Like, that's not, like, you don't need to be frustrated that it's taking so long. And God's not actually frustrated with you that it's taking so long because that's actually expected. And the second that seed goes in the ground, something begins to happen. Yeah. Like the process has already begun. You might not be able to see or the end is not there yet, but it's already started. Yeah. And I actually, you know, to be honest with you, if you were to tell me which one do you want, my initial answer would be like, I want a 22 mile an hour God. Yeah. I want it. I want things. Maybe to be, even faster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> school zone. I want a school zone. You know, he's like, no. I want, I want like, a freeway. Yeah, I, want, I, want I want a freeway. freeway I want an Autobahn God. You know? Um, but I don't want my time with him to be that fast. Mm. There's something about the, the idea of patience that the, it's already begun. He's already there, but I appreciate the long road of change because it's a long road walked with him. And in the end, the miracle will be the time we spent together and how acquainted we are with each other and the memories that we made. So I, I, I don't actually in the very beginning, when it started off, and it said um, that you can count those trials joy. Maybe one of the greatest reasons you can is because you get to walk that together with Him. And in the end, you might say, I, I, I'm actually thankful for the sickness. I'm actually thankful for the, the, the struggle. Because it meant that, that we did life together. And I'm afraid if it wasn't there, I never would have turned to him. And I never would have gotten to know his heart. And I never would have realized how much he loved me and was interested in looking after me. You know, I under, both are true. I'm okay to see, because he promises healing and he promises wholeness. But there's something about, I think, this that says, and maybe it's okay if it takes... Um, as long as a tree does to grow because of that, the, that long patient process, you know, it's time together. And I'm okay if I'm not in a rush. I actually yeah. feel better if God's not going to rush me. He's not going to be mad at me that I'm taking a little bit longer than expected. Yeah. He's just like, oh yeah, perfect. Right. Great. And here's the promise in verse 11. We count them happy, which endure. And this is our name of Jesus for the week comes from verse 11. Um, it's that word tender. And um, if I were to say that like somebody treated me really tenderly, there is a slowness to that. Like, I, right? Where yeah. Just like they cared for me tenderly. Yeah. Like in my mind, my, the images in my mind are of like somebody feeding soup slowly, you know, <laughs> or like wrapping up a bandage, like, yeah. saw, like, does this hurt? Yeah. Let me wrap this up really. Or like to, you treat a baby tenderly and you like scoop them up with really gentle, soft, slow hands. You know, you rock them to sleep tenderly is what you would, is what you would say. And this is the image of God. The name of Jesus is, he is tenderness. And, and that we count them happy, which endure. Remember Job, they said, the patience of Job. You have seen the end of the Lord. You saw what happened in the end of his story. And how sad if you rush too quick to it because you would have missed 40 chapters of learning and growing together in there. The Lord is full of compassion. 
I'm translating that for you, <laughs> and of tender mercy. He's not just merciful. It's not just a business transaction. It's really tender and it's slow and it makes sure that you can keep up with the pace of it. Mm. So it's so, so sweet. And then there's one other part in there, which is, and almost like one of those in the meantime, and it swings us back to the royal law, where it's just like, is there any among you who are afflicted? Pray. It's verse 13. <laughs> and on your happy days, sing the Psalms. Or if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that they may be healed. And this line, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Mm. And there is just that, bring back to that. Um, As we love God, we love people. As we love people, we love God. And it's this experience that happens all together. That great bit of advice, again, of like, live the royal law. Because through you or you through them will see the face of God. As, as you love and live that law, you, you'll, that, that is where you will experience and actually see um, who God is, is in our experiences with, with each other. Praying, asking, helping, um, pleading. All, of the, all that experience is how, is how we come to, to know who he is as we and are made whole there's one of my all-time favorite books the end of the book um it talks about and i think i and maybe it's just because right now i'm just obsessed with this idea of choosing how to live but that's kind of what the whole book is about and at the very end um he finishes the book and he says like sometimes i wonder what i'll tell god when i get to heaven like when he asks me about my life like i wonder what i'll talk to him about And at the end of the book, he starts listing. He's like, now I don't wonder anymore. Um, And this is the cutest part. I don't wonder anymore what I'll tell God when I go to heaven, when we sit in the chairs under the tree outside the city. I'll tell him, and then he starts listing all of these stories from his life. I'll tell him about this and this. I'll ask God if he remembers when I fell apart in the hotel room in Los Angeles and he comforting, he looked and he'll look comfortingly at me and tell me he was there. And he goes through all of these different experiences. Um, And all the experiences he lists, I actually think fall into the way James said to live your life. Mm. These laws that he said, love people, love God. And yeah, you're going to be missing things. And actually God will show up in your lack. And all of these things, he unpacks these moments from his life when he actually lives this. And at the end, there's just the cutest line ever. And it says, I'll tell these things to God and he'll laugh, I think. And he'll remind me of the parts I forgot, the parts that were his favorites. And Mm. I just love that actually... Doing life, like James suggests, is actually doing life three miles per hour with God. And I can't wait to hear what he thinks his favorite parts are about my life. And I can't wait to tell him mine. And I think that they might match. Mm. You know? Yeah. Awesome. All right, y'all. We'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.